Good morning, everyone. Um, on this side of the Atlantic, good afternoon to colleagues in Europe, and hello to others from other parts of the world. Um, I will start with a few housekeeping matters because they are important. Um, if there is no voice, there will be no voice Q and A. If you need, if you want to ask a question during the webinar, you can use the Q and A function on the right of the screen, or you can write events at migrationpolicy.org, or can, or you can tweet at migrationpolicy or um, hashtag MPI discuss. Um, this is an extremely important topic for not only, of course, for the European Union and the persons who are participating today who are responsible for the portfolio in their respective realms. Um, it is a discussion of the EU Pact on Migration and Asylum. It is a devilishly complex set of policy and political issues, and we all know that. Uh, issues that are difficult enough to resolve on their own, as many countries around the world know too well, but become even more so when one takes into account the complexities and the difficulties uh, of the governance, um, the governance complexities of the EU, and particularly the shared responsibilities between Brussels and the other, you know, the institutions of Brussels and the member states. Uh, the initiative we will be discussing today covers the waterfront on all matters regarding migration management from borders and how to make progress toward a managed and orderly migration system to how to cooperate more clo closely with origin and transit countries to how both the mechanism and the management of screening applicants for asylum Will be, will be handled to returns and reintegration issues and to the what happens next, which is an extremely important issue. In other words, the politically toxic uh, issues regarding the distribution of asylum seekers likely to succeed with their asylum claim. And of course, uh, underlying all of this, the management of irregular and secondary movements. At the end of the day, how the EU deals with the issue uh, goes to the very heart of enhancing the EU's resilience and flexibility in dealing with crises. Uh, this is a quote from the German presidency's report on the pact, and it is correctly stated in my view. And of course, none of these issues occur in a vacuum as publics who elect governments have widely divergent expectations for the outcome of these processes. To discuss this critical public policy issue, we have, I think, the perfect guests, and I know you will agree with me. We have with us, um, and this I will, um, you know, I will identify them in the order in which they will speak. We have Monique Pariet, First, who is the general director general for migration and home affairs at the European Commission. Uh, she will be followed by Ulrich Weinbrenner, 
the Director General for Migration, Refugees, and Return Policy in the Federal Ministry of the Interior, who now has added in the last couple of years the Interior Building and Community of the Federal Republic of Germany. And the third speaker, the one who will basically sort of bring everything up to date and help us look forward to the future, we're honored to have Eduardo Cabrita, the Minister for Home Affairs of Portugal, as many of most of you know, Portugal holds the rotating EU presidency for the first six months of this year. And in that capacity, he's also the president of the Justice and Home Affairs Council of the European Union. Um, I don't want to spend any time or take away any time from the discussion. So um, I would like to ask uh, Monique to tell us first her views as to where we are and what some of the thinking was in proposing the pact. Monique Pariat. Thank you, Dimitri. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Minister. Uh, very nice to be with you this afternoon and discuss on uh, where we stand on the new pact on uh, migration and asylum. As you know, this pact was presented in September uh, by the Commission uh, after a very intensive consultation process with uh, all member states, with the parliament, with different stakeholders. I think the objective of the new commission, and I, when I say the new commission, it's obviously a new, new college, but in this new college you have a new president, but a new commissioner dealing with migration. I'm also new in this job because I joined uh, DG Home in January, so we were a brand new team, if I can say so. So, and the, the, the purpose was really to take a new, a new start, to propose a new start on that, but building on the experience of the last four to five years where uh, all our endeavors to put in place a more resilient and sustainable system for migration had failed. So, uh, we tried also to uh, take a comprehensive approach uh, from you know, migration starts somewhere and ends somewhere. And uh, along, we wanted to address the issue all along this process, meaning from, you know, the parts of the world where migration initiates, the way up to the EU uh, borders and shores, and how do we treat people according to uh, their status when they arrive, if they are clearly in need of protection, or if despite uh, the maybe legitimate wish they would have to try to get a better life in the EU, this is not possible to, to accept them and they would need to be returned. So that's uh, what we wanted to address and have really this very comprehensive approach. We were also conscious that um, there are very diverging positions on that, very difficult issues, very sensitive, if not toxic ones, as was said. So we had to take that into account. So that's why it took also a bit of time to propose something that we would want everybody to be able to consider as going a good, well, an acceptable basis for discussion and uh, and I think on that we we have achieved this first objective where uh, no member states have uh, stepped out of the room and uh, are engaging on uh, on the discussions 
So uh, we, the, the Parliament has also started its work. So I think this is the foundations, if you want, are there. Uh, I think the proposal of the Commission is considered as being, let's say, clearly, it doesn't doesn't please anybody, but it doesn't uh, also makes uh, everybody, uh, as I said, in a position that they don't want to discuss at all. I can't consider it as a basis for discussion. So that's the first, uh, the first point. It's a set of different proposals that need to work together to make the system workable and function. Uh, there is a strong focus on the external dimension of migration that encompasses uh, the, um, the need to work more closely with the countries where people originate or transit so that we can reduce the flows of illegal migrants, uh, the smuggling, which is a big uh, plague in the system, and it's a, also the the uh, the reason why so many people arrive illegally and and at the risk of their lives and often uh, lose their life in the process so this is something we absolutely need to address with the countries of origin and transit uh, we need also to have a better protection of the borders so that's the other part of the another building block if you want we need to have a better functioning return system because two-thirds of the people that arrive to the EU for the moment are people that are either not claiming asylum or are very unlikely to get asylum. So that will, the process will very likely uh, end up in a return decision. So we need to be more forceful on that. And for the moment, we have some kind of 30% of returns that are effectively returned, of people that need to be returned that are effectively returned. So that's another aspect on which we work. And we need to provide to those who are really in need of protection, the protection they need, the protection they are uh, entitled to get. And this, the other aspect I would say we need also to, uh, to work on is on the fact that the EU has a very, an aging population and that the COVID-19 has also showed it very clearly. We need also people from other countries to fill job uh, gaps that we have. And uh, uh, so we need also to better organize uh, legal migration pathways so that we can re reduce the irregular one. And that's also part of the comprehensive partnership that we need to, to, to discuss and to set up with our uh, third country partners. So that's really uh, the, uh, and the last aspect is obviously uh, that by reinforcing uh, the external borders, it puts a burden, if you want, on the shoulders of the first entry countries. So, which is the philosophy of the Schengen area and an area of a free of internal borders. But, uh, this, they, these countries cannot be left alone on managing for the rest of the EU uh, security issues and migration flows. So that's why the solidarity component is very important. And we have proposed a quite innovative way of providing a mandatory solidarity, not only by relocating people, but also by other ways that could meet the 
reticence of some countries to have an automatic relocation of people, that would also not increase, uh, you know, um, how do you call that, um, be an incentive for people to, to travel, and uh, pull balls, that could be pull, uh, uh, pull factors, and uh, to um, also to provide effective ways to support countries that on which the burden may be a bit higher. Uh, so, and as you can understand, this is a bit the core of the discussions because it's very sensitive. How we find the good trade-off between the responsibility and the solidarity aspects of the uh, of the migration. This is where it failed uh, in the last under the last mandate under the last commission, and this is we, where we have to find a pragmatic but efficient way to make it function, to be predictable, and to be a real support to the countries uh, that are, are in the front, front line. So that's, in a nutshell, how I would describe a very, a very synthetic way the, the content and the, the rationale behind the pact. Uh, to add one thing also is this pact is, what we propose in September is building also on part of the proposal that were already put on the table in 2016, so that we factored in and that it complements that. But we have also a number of other new initiatives that are due to come in the course of this year and even at the beginning of next year. And if I have a minute, I will say a word on that. So the progress achieved during the German presidency, as said, uh, the pact was presented end of September, so de facto half of the German presidency was already eaten up when we arrived with the pact, so it was clear that the German presidency couldn't go very far, but I think we made substantial progress on that. We had a number of uh, discussions at ministerial level that were very, uh, very good to uh, to get the reactions of the member states on the part and to know what uh, they are, what they can support and wh where there are difficulties. To be honest, and there was nothing really new in that, but I think it was good to clear up the, uh, the, the, the field and see where, where everybody stands. And uh, I would like to thank the German presidency for, for the efforts in advancing the work on the part. And at, during that time, the work at technical level was also uh, initiated. So uh, with the, the Portuguese presidency, and I will let the minister talk about that, but uh, we had last week an, in, an informal ministerial uh, meeting with, uh, uh, that was very well prepared by the Portuguese presidency with very clear questions to the member states. And where I would say we we see that despite the difficulties, and it is it is difficult, huh? uh, member states are willing to engage at different levels with uh, with a lot of caution. But I'm an optimistic person, so I want to think that uh, that things will be uh, will work uh, in the right direction. Uh, but it requires that everybody to show a bit of courage to get out of the you know, <laughs> comfort zone and saying uh, we like that and we don't like that. So what we want from them now is to tell us, okay, you don't like that, but please come with what you would like or would be ready to do. And I think the president, president the Portuguese president has very well understood that. 
and uh, and uh, is driving the discussions uh, in that direction. But the minister will say more on that, and is very obviously very knowledgeable on that. One path that has been identified as uh, where we can certainly do make progress because it doesn't request so much legislative work is on the external dimension and uh, the cooperation with third countries. You stop me, Dimitri, eh, when I'm too long. Uh, the, because I could speak for hours. Uh, <laughs> on the cooperation with third countries, uh, we we have already set up a process to review, in particular with a number of priority countries like Morocco, Tunisia, Nigeria, Afghanistan, so to review uh, readmission agreements, to relaunch the, the, the uh, discussions and see how we can also pool the different or different instruments to uh, leverage uh, a better cooperation and return, uh, but also working on, as I said, on legal pathways so that it's a bit of a win-win uh, approach. We are also working on the return aspects, and we are uh, we are building a network of a uh, return uh, coordinators, a return network. We will appoint an EU return coordinator soon. Uh, I have a deputy director general who is also working on that. So, and we will submit um, very soon during the Portuguese presidency the new voluntary return and reintegration strategy. So there is the work on the legislative and negotiation part, but also work in parallel. And I will finish with the uh, the action plan on against migrant smuggling because I think that one of the big initiatives we need to take is on reducing the criminality in the area of migration, in reducing and working really on the smuggling of people to the EU. I'll stop here, but I'm ready uh, to uh, to answer questions you may have later on. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Monique. And um, I thought that it was important for you to have a couple more minutes, uh, also because you gave us the rationale behind, of course, the proposals, the pact proposals. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that in order to succeed in many of these things. You, you, do, you do need to address everything all along the migration arc. You cannot just decide that I'm only going to do this thing and then expect that everything else will fall into place. I think it's also important for me to emphasize another point that you made, which is that in order to protect those people who deserve protection, you have to make some judgments and many of these judgments have to be made in the border procedures, you know, early on before people go through the full process. Finally, I think the biggest issue on this issue everywhere, on this matter everywhere, is trying to find the equilibrium point, the right point between on the one side values, rules, rights, etc., and on the other side, interests and responsibilities that states have toward their entire society, but in the case of the EU, of course, for an entire political space. Thank you very much. And as for you being optimistic, you had better be optimistic. Otherwise, you should you should, you should resign. <laughs> so um, I'd like to call my friend Ulrich Weinbrenner, who had to manage the process in half the time, as Monique said. Ulrich, uh, the floor is yours. 
Many thanks, uh, Dimitri. Hello to anybody. Uh, so when, when we look back one year, just uh, five months before the start of the German presidency, we thought we would have the commission's package by Easter, more or less. That's what uh, was said. And uh, that we would have at least the whole presidency to, to negotiate it in the, in the ordinary way things are run in Brussels. As we all know, it went differently. So 23rd of September was the date. The 8th of October was the first um, reading in the more a presentation by the Commission in the Council of the of the uh, Justice and Interior Ministers, um, and we had no nearly null um, uh, meetings uh, other than uh, a video conference on the technical level and um, at least not on the ministerial level. So that as well. Uh, comes with some restrictions when it uh, uh when when you find yourself being the presidency and uh, having such a huge um, uh, and quite complicated piece of legislation on the table and it comprised of five legal acts and five other uh, papers communications by the commission and one of the or the challenges we had together with other member states were just to find out what exactly the proposals of the commission were for example, the border procedure, which is um, uh, comprised of the screen of the screening, and there is an asylum procedure, return procedure, how everything is linked, and what exactly the idea of the commission behind it was. That was something that we had to understand together with the other member states. Although that's very sure, we didn't really start from scratch in thinking about um, the challenges and the questions which are. Uh, which are uh, linked to this question. So what we did is we tried anything to uh, to um, achieve as much as possible um, uh, in the in the time which we had, and that was firstly aiming at a um, at a uh, paper which was finally um, uh, on the ministerial level, which was finally. Uh, adopted on the uh, uh, 14th of December and which was a presidency progress report. We first thought to have uh, council conclusions on main major points on that just to pave the way for the further uh, negotiations under the Portuguese and the, the uh, uh, subsequent presidencies. But we found out that a presidency progress report was the maximum that we could achieve um, uh, with member states because we wanted to have nevertheless a quite substantial paper which would be more than just naming very broad principles but rather to have as much as uh, as um, concrete uh, positions by member states and consensus uh, by member states as possible in that paper. Um, and we had uh, um, it's a it's a 16 uh, page paper which we try to 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 uh, disseminate um, uh, during this webinar and very briefly we have uh, some key um, positions by member states so there is a strong strong uh, and unanimous um, uh, uh, understanding and welcoming of the importance of the external dimension of migration. So that means that um, uh, trying to find 
reasons for irregular migration and all through the chain of the cooperation with third countries of origin and transit uh, just to uh, the end, which is cooperation in return. is something that all the member states are uh, very much uh, supporting and the Commission is, is active in this field as well. That's what Monique Paria was already aiming at. Uh, the second aspect is that all member states supported a strong and effective management on the external borders. So broad consensus on that point. Um, next uh, aspect, more delicate one. All member states uh, committed to mutual support, uh, including in cases of migratory pressure or a time of crisis, of one of the member states. So solidarity, all member states wanted to, uh, um, to, to render support to member states in need of support. That is already um, a strong commitment. But nevertheless, there, the question what exactly this support means and what exactly the case would be in, uh, in the situation would be in which this support would be rendered, that is the still open question where we in this paper would only be uh, or were only able to to name the different positions of the groups of member states um, uh, they were uh, which they took so that is very much a state of the art of the discussion this paper on the 14th of december but at least it paves the way for further discussions on the different uh, on the different aspects and the the more, most political sensitive questions, solidarity and responsibility is something that could not be solved in three months. And I'm not sure whether it could be solved in uh, under the Portuguese presidency, because that is really the, the, the main and the most uh, complicated question when it comes to, to, uh, to migration and to the new pact. So um, I think that, uh, that there is some progress we made uh, in this field, I will only uh, very shortly refer to the trilogues where we were, where we were able to finalize the trilogue uh, with the Parliament on the visa information system and on the monetary fund for migration and border protection. We will not be able to uh, finalize uh, the trilogue to, uh, to start the political trilogue really when it comes to the asylum agency and Eurodac, which we very much would like to have. And we have been in touch already with the, with the rapporteurs of the parliament, but there was a strong blocking minority by a group of member states, by two groups really, who said um, that they only could uh, make progress in a kind of package approach so that they would not be willing to take out uh, the asylum agency and Eurodac out of the package, although in substance they agreed on what was uh, the result of the negotiations. And we would very much like to have these things put out, but uh, that was not uh, possible. Um, and I hope that the further presidencies will be able to do so, because although there is really there are good reasons for this package approach because there are lots of interlinkages between the different pieces of legislation but the agency and eurodac do not belong to this uh, in substance and put out out of the picture so one might fear 
that it will uh, very very hard to to find a a, um, a solution for all these things. So that is uh, in a nutshell what we what we achieved, and I'm very uh, uh, confident that the the dossier is now under the Portuguese presidency in perfect hands, as we have a very strong and experienced European negotiator, and uh, uh, we are very much trying to to uh, to l make the trio as uh, a presidency approach living, and uh, uh, are in contact and supporting our Portuguese friends. For example, we have seconded one of our uh, of the experts of my team to the Portuguese ministry, and we wish. Uh, you all the best in your endeavor, and you, you, you will receive our uh, our constant support. That's what Minister Zeyofer mentioned as well at the last informal meeting. Many thanks, and uh, I hope I wasn't too long. Uh, thank you, Ulrich. No, you were not. You were exactly on time. And Minister, before I turn to you, I wanted to express uh, the solidarity, I'm sure, of all the people, the entire audience, with the Portuguese people. Uh, in your struggle to contain the health emergency. Um, now you have the floor, sir. All of you, good morning in the, to our American friends, good, good afternoon to our European, uh, European listeners, and uh, thank you for the invitation to be with you in this important discussion in one of the most uh, cru crucial themes in the Portuguese presidency of the Council of, of, the, of the European Union in the area of home affairs. Uh, thank you also for what you said. And uh, what we are trying to do is to make a presidency in a very exceptional time. We are in all around the world, but especially in Europe and uh, nowadays in, in Portugal, we are facing a terrible a terrible pandemic, pan pandemic challenge, and, and and it is crucial in these times. We should not forget our democratic values and the, the, the roots of the achievements that uh, we got uh, with the, the building of our uh, union in Europe. Let me go the, the, straight to the, to the migration and the asylum issue. Uh, we, you heard, we heard already two important uh, statements uh, by the DGOM, by Monique Parriar, and also the, 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 the evaluation of the work made by the German presidency. And I think, first of all, is uh, an act of uh, political courage what uh, uh, the Commission made to present such a huge legislative uh, package uh, as, as Monique said, as a complete new start. And we supported, in, during the trio work, we supported in our discussions with Vice President Margaritis, Skinners, and also with Commissioner Uwe Johansson, we supported this, this approach. As uh, in the last uh, three and a half years, I have, have, I have in this position as Portuguese Home Affairs Minister, uh, I saw uh, as uh, we had a deadlock in some way in this, uh, in this field. Uh, 
And also we recognize the huge effort that the German presidency made in, in fact, not in a semester, in fact, just in three, three months. And Ulrich made a, a good uh, outline uh, of the, the presidency report that was presented to last uh, uh, December Minister's Council. First of all, let me explain our approach as Portuguese presidency. Migration is a natural thing in the world. Portuguese have an experience of migration. We have, there are Portuguese all around the world. I have part of my family in the United States, part of them already born there. Uh, and that is the Portuguese tradition. We, we know, we know very clearly this, uh, this. But now, uh, all, all Europe is getting old and we are receiving, uh, also in Portugal, we are receiving uh, people coming from other countries and they, are, they have a positive, a positive uh, contribution to our economies, to the, to the melting pot of our cultures. They have globally certainly, uh, certainly a positive contribution. That was what happened, that's the history of the United States. That's now perhaps the present and certainly the future of Europe. That's why for Portugal, we intend we should have a global, a comprehensive approach on, my, on migration and asylum issues management. Because now we are in a different position uh, comparing with the uh, 2015 or 16 situation. In 2015, uh, as uh, you know, we had around 2 million people coming to Europe by, as refugees or migrants. And most of them were, uh, were located in Germany. Uh, Chancellor Merkel had a, a very important approach receiving uh, more than half of these 2 million people and other other countries, including Portugal, at our at our uh, size, took uh, took a positive approach on that. But Europe was not prepared. Europe Europe failed in the global answer to this critical situation. Now the now the situation is different. Last year we had uh, around 100,000 people coming to Europe. That means just uh, one twentieth of the of what we had five years ago, and left uh, even we have some strong pressure in in areas like uh, Greek islands or Canary Islands uh, from uh, from uh, uh, in Spain from Western Africa. Or should we should we address this? We uh, understand in this area, as uh, Monique and Ulrich uh, outlined, there are clearly clear differences in the member states' approach. And Portugal wants to build a constructive approach to trying to reach consensus. We think we are in a good position for that. Due to our political approach to this, we are, we are a southern country, but we are not in the front line. We don't have the pressure that Spain, Italy, or Greece have. 
and we have the capacity to capacity to discuss these issues on an open way as we have the 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 the, the aki of receiving people from relocation from resettlement programs on bilateral agreements with Greece but also we share the responsibility on secondary movements on the bilateral agreement with Germany. We were the first to sign a bilateral agreement on that. That's why the German progress report is very important because it, it may split what is technical, technical work and where are the main political issues we should address. On the technical work, we are making all, now all pressure at a technical level to go ahead with issues like uh, the blue card, uh, blue card directive on the on high skilled uh, high skilled migration uh, uh, on uh, uh, on visa uh, regulation, and also we want to go ahead on the EASO regulation or on Eurodac. And then we understand these two blocks of countries. Mediterranean countries one side and these grad counties on the other side, which through different ways both say we have a package approach. That means there will be no agreement before an agreement in all, all the pieces in this global process. What, were, what are, are we telling them? What are they telling all member states? Let's go ahead with the technical work and let's concentrate on the main political issues. The main political issues are basically three political issues. One is the external dimension of migratory flows. That means when we are discussing these issues, as Monique said, with, with Morocco, uh, Mauritania, Tunisia, or uh, Turkey, we cannot only discuss only returns and readmissions. This is an important part, but we should use a global and holistic view. That means we should discuss cooperation on development, long-time approach. That means promote education for young girls, promote, promote health care in these origin countries, and support them in the work, in the work uh, on the prevention of uh, uh, as uh, origin countries and sometimes as Morocco we know quite well as our neighbors Morocco is also a transit country we should support them in the control of migratory flows that's the only approach to want them to cooperate on cooperate on returns another way we should also uh, offer a, 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 a path of hope to people from is, these areas. As Europe is getting older uh, uh, each year, we should create legal migration paths. That means we should offer on these countries, we should re, uh, act very, with a very harsh way on the trafficking of human beings, on smuggling, but we should open also way to legal migration agreements. That's why we said 
we should give priority to the cooperation with Africa. That's Portuguese tradition, strong connections with Africa. And that's why we intend to held next May uh, a, ministerial, a ministerial meeting to, from, with, uh, between European Union countries and African countries on management of migratory flows. Second area, how to share responsibility in the control of our external borders. We gave a new mandate to Frontex. Frontex is as now, uh, 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 for the first time, an armed body, uh, a common European armed body, uh, working as European Coast Guard and Border Police, working with the national, national police. But we should also, on this area, we should not put all the pressure to border controls, to pre-screening controls on the, on the uh, frontline countries. And this is sharing responsibility. That means to have Eurodac, uh, Eurodac regulations, Eurodac working, that means we should have a very, uh, very speedy fingerprints, uh, interviews, uh, and uh, uh, database sharing working with all the needed financial, human, and technical resources. And we should, we should support frontline countries in this idea of, of uh, shared responsibility, as we should all adopt a common policy on secondary movements inside inside European Union area. And then we will go to the third, third pillar of this difficult approach, perhaps the most difficult, that is how to share solidarity. Solidarity cannot be an empty world, and solidarity cannot be a, a, a matter of choice. Solidarity should be mandatory, then should be binding rules on this area. On, on solidarity, we uh, now are talking about the Greece uh, of Spain or Malta, but can be, due to the political situation, we can, can be on Poland or on Hungary. Due to unstable political situation in countries that are neighbors to Poland or to Hungary, it may happen. We don't, uh, I, I would like not to, but we may face that at any time. So we should have two different approaches. One for crisis situation. In crisis situation, relocation mechanisms should be, on crisis situation, relocation mechanisms should be mandatory. On ordinary situations, as basically we are now, we should have a principle of sharing responsibility of, on returns and also on relocation, but some countries, and this, that is our approach special to these grad countries, they, some are saying, well, we intend, we accept mandatory solidarity, but as a flexible, as a flexible way. And what we are asking Poland, Czech Republic, even Hungary, is saying, well, that should not be a, 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 a new, a, a new content. We should say very clearly what are the catalog of uh, ways 
to show effective solidarity. And we admit to propose, we intend to present a new progress report in, uh, in March, in the next minister's meeting, we admit that solidarity can be support to origin countries. Solidarity can be support to border controls. Solidarity can be uh, uh, support to training, uh, training missions and to, or support to mechanisms to, our, uh, to, to uh, support our agencies like Frontex, EASO, or to support the interoperability uh, data, data, data systems. That is why we are trying to approach southern countries saying uh, we, should, we should share with them the burden for border controls and we are approaching this grand block saying we, we should say very clearly what is this concept of flexible mandatory solidarity. The important way is, and that is the constructive approach we should have, they are now, uh, there is a clear majority, countries like Poland of Czech Republic, in last week meeting, clearly admitted this idea of flexible solidarity. And now we expect is let's build all to let's build the the the, uh, the, the bricks of this uh, of this uh, uh, concept of uh, flexible mandatory solidarity as a as a, as a, a final a final point. Second, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to, just to reach to to my to my final point. How do we intend to address that? Well, on political, political discussion, it's difficult as now we have strong restrictions for travel and by video conference it's not the same, but uh, I'll try to approach until March with some fundamental uh, partners, my colleagues from, Italy, from Spain, I hope for the new Italian government, Spain, Italy and Greece, in the southern side, and I again contact my colleagues from Hungary and Poland, and of course other countries, important countries like France and Germany. So Germany is our partner in the trio, and France is an important, an important partner in this in this discussion. There should be a good will coalition. That means a good will coalition of countries committed to the European values. And finally, we should give importance to relation to, uh, to the external dimension with Africa, I told already, but also with the Middle, Middle East and the countries, the West Balkan countries, uh, of course, Turkey, which is an important partner, and also uh, also on this, in this field, a new, a new constructive work with the United States. I is our, uh, in our presidency agenda, 12 in Lisbon in June, a meeting uh, in justice and, uh, and uh, home affairs area, in my case, with the new Homeland Secretary from the new Biden administration. I hope it is possible uh, for him 
to come to Lisbon and to also in this area to have an open discussion as this is a global approach. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm optimistic. I, I'm realistic and this is a very difficult political challenge and technical challenge. But I'm, the, I'm from the country of the Secretary General, Secretary General Antonio Guterres from the United States, United Nations, and from the country of the Director General of OEM, uh, uh, Antonio Vitorino. And there are certainly a good inspiration for this difficult work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister. And um, um, I think as uh, the Minister responsible for leading uh, the EU um, over the next six months, it was appropriate uh, that um, you, we would give you an opportunity to, be, uh, to complete your presentation, and we're grateful for that. It is um, unfortunate, but we knew about that, that uh, Monique Pariat had to leave because she has another meeting that she pushed back for 15 minutes, but she couldn't push back any further than that. But now we have a rare pleasure uh, to introduce someone who has been uh, following all of these issues since when, since before the pact became the pact. And one of the best observers on anything that has to do with migration, immigration, whatever one wants to call it, uh, in Europe and increasingly beyond Europe, uh, the director of the Migration Policy Institute in Europe, Hannah Behrens, and uh, Good friend, uh, Hane, uh, you, I saw you relaxing, sitting back, and taking all this in. So give us some of your wisdom, and then we'll move to the Q's and A's. Thank you very much, Dimitri, and uh, a big thanks also to the other discussants. Uh, it's been really fascinating to listen, uh, both to the conceptualization behind the park, the progress made, by the German presidency and also the intentions now by the Portuguese uh, presidency and also welcome to all those who are listening uh, this morning or this afternoon. Uh, what we clearly hear from all the different discussions is that Europe needs a resilient migration and asylum system. That's why we're all here working on this so hard in the sense that, of course, there's um, clear needs. Um, there's been a significant drop in irregular arrivals in 2020, partly because of uh, the COVID pandemic uh, affecting all of us. And there was about, as, as already heard, about 124,000 that arrived. That was nothing close to the 885,000 that arrived in 2015, um, but, there, uh, but it's still significant and the numbers are rising again. Um, and then next to that, we've heard that, that as Monique Baria has also referred to, that the smuggling techniques are being adapted. So on the one hand, there's a 75% drop on the East Mediterranean route, but a tripling on the route uh, along the Central Mediterranean route. And so we need a Europe that's able to deal with this kind of mixed migration flows. But as several of the discussions have also said, there's more to this. And uh, there's a demographic challenge. Um, there's clear needs uh, on, on the labor market. For example, um, in relation to ICT, there's about 1.6 million jobs that will have to be filled between now and 2020, uh, 2030 that's been estimated. So this is really uh, crucial. We've heard that, that 
from uh, Ms. Baria that, that the, the member states are willing. So we're optimistic, we're willing to engage on this. And yet we all know, all of those around the table, that there is this kind of post-traumatic stress disorder that affects many policymakers uh, dealing with this file. We are really worried about seeing the ghosts of the past re reappear, um, to see the kind of policy trench wars uh, reoccurring, uh, and the kind of really intractable positions being taken up. And that's why we're all looking forward to, to the Portuguese presidency, because even though the minister said he has a sense of realism, we associate a kind of positivism uh, with the Portuguese uh, and how they have dealt with this file over the past years. Um, on the external front, um, we've heard very clearly that, that yes, there's going to there's a lot of ambitions. We know from from the progress reports, but other uh, sources of information as well, that there's a strong support. There's almost unanimity on on this issue, on, and there's huge ambitions tied to what the EU and the member states want to do uh, on this. Um, they have, the pact has clearly conveyed uh, the willingness or the will to uh, engage in a different kind of style and tone with third countries and to make sure uh, that we negotiate with our counterparts in a more kind of balanced way. How we will translate that declaration of intent into something very real on the ground uh, will have to be seen, but the examples given by the discussions in terms of return really clearly show that if we drill down, common interest can be identified on all partners uh, around the table, and this is really uh, crucial. When it comes to what several discussions have identified as some of the most kind of difficult or sensitive elements of the pact, the solidarity element, there again, uh, we do see progress uh, in the sense that not only, as Ms. Paria has outlined, have we tried to, to deal with and, and inject an element of solidarity from the moment a person arrives at the external borders to the moment that person is, is integrated or returned. Um, but we've also gone much more operational um, than we have in the past. We're really trying to make sure that we understand very well what it means to be solidary uh, in, in this area. But we've gone beyond that. We've, we've, we've dared to contemplate um, that we will not have to do all the same task when it comes to solidarity. We're willing to really differentiate and, and think through what the capacity, the political interests are of, of the different member states and think through what um, the catalogue, as the minister has said, the kind of different menu of options that are on the table in terms of, of solidarity. And this is not actually a very foreign idea. A lot of systems organize themselves uh, in this way. We think about, uh, um, yeah, the, even the human body, the, the a football team, we differentiate tasks and that makes, that ups the predictability of how we work. We know who will do what, we know uh, who to turn to when something uh, goes wrong. Um, but there's a, two things that I, I would like to, to uh, ask uh, or, or raise in, in terms of this issue. Um, the first thing is, um, yes, it's interesting to differentiate those kind of tasks. The question is whether this is a viable strategy in the kind of more medium term. Is it possible to, to differentiate um, and at the same time allow a certain kind of flexibility um, over time? Can we be, if I go back to my uh, idea of the football team, can we be a striker the one year and a defender the next year? Can we invest and, and dedicate ourselves to relocation one year and to return the next year? Do we have the capacity within a member state 
to have that kind of flexibility? And does it make us particularly vulnerable to um, um, the outcomes of, of national and regional elections in that sense? And so the question uh, that I have is, to what extent do we also need a, a parallel track where we think about a kind of almost professionalization of solidarity, that we have a kind of a solid basis that allows us to draw back on in cases of uh, extreme increases in arrivals or different difficult uh, uh, agreements and negotiations that go on. And in that sense, if we want to have that kind of more resilient EU migration and asylum system, the question is, and that goes back to what also Mr. Weinbrenner was saying, can we then afford to have the file of the EASO, uh, the European Asylum Support Office, this file that's supposed to translate and change this EASO into a full-fledged EU agency, can we allow that to be tied to the whole package? Um, because w one of the issues is that it, it prevents us of really being able to say um, that we actually can have this kind of strong support. And so the question that we have uh, there is whether uh, over time, um, um, sorry, lost my track. <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to say is that um, the fact, yeah, I'm nearly there, let me check. Um, the question that we have there is that um, having um, one agency, one protagonist in the migration asylum system um, being very strong, having had its mandate changed three times in the last five years, having had its budget and its, and its uh, staff increase in such a significant way, that's maybe a really important issue, as the minister has said. But at the same time, if it dwarfs the role and the potential of the other agency, which also has such a strong, important role in this area, are we not putting ourselves in a risky position? Should we not also seek to detach those two files and really invest in that? And that's, and I'll finish here, is also because we need successes. We need small bright lights in this kind of dark tunnel of negotiations that we've had over the last five, six years. Uh, it's so important that we have that kind of momentum going, that we have the energy uh, going um, to really continue and hopefully bring this to a good end. Thank you, Dmitry. Uh Thank you, Hannah. And uh, I must say that this has been one of the richest conversations on a topic that actually requires that we spend, you know, a day on, if not much longer than that. Um, but I do want to um, take the time and, um, and ask uh, the panelists a couple of the questions that came over the transom, as it were, um, from uh, the audience. And, uh, I will um, I will start with a question about um, how you know, and this would be a, a question directed uh, to Minister Cabrera. How, how do you? You've already talked about this, but you know, what is the actual process that you intend to use in order to actually create the alliances among the states that are necessary? in order to move the pack forward. You identified two sets of states that will be, you know, your target, in quotes, in terms of the flexible, flexible solidarity, you know, mandatory but flexible. And they are the southern states, the first 
you know, the states through which, you know, most um, uh, migrants, uh, to use a word that includes everyone, try to enter Europe, but also the reluctant um, states um, that tend to be concentrated, you know, in the northeastern part of um, of, um, of the EU. Um, what is your actual approach? Will you be visiting? I know that this is difficult in the middle of the pandemic and all that. Uh, are these tete-a-tete? You know, is there something that you bring with you, you know, uh, in order to be able to sort of persuade them, not just not to block the path, but to actively cooperate in making the path um, uh, happen in a realistic way, as you said. Uh, and I, you know, I took note of the fact that you talked about a package of approach. And I know that the package approach is the most um, uh, appealing way of negotiating. It's where you give and take at the same time, but it's also the most difficult thing to do because there are too many moving parts. But you know, your reputation precedes you, Minister. <laughs> you have, you're going to give it everything in order to make it happen. And you know, <laughs> appealing to us, about what I call Portuguese exceptionalism, you know, with <laughs> Secretary General Guterres <laughs> and Antonio Vitorino, means that you have an awful lot of things in your back pocket as you will be negotiating. Talk to us a bit about that. Thank you for this very difficult $1 billion, $1 billion question. That, uh, uh, and uh, what I said and, and, and was referred I'm, I'm not, uh, I should be realistic in the very pragmatic approach. That's why I'm not uh, going to say we are going to reach a global agreement that was impossible in the last six years and now we are, we are going to do, to get it in six months. It, that could be completely, completely absurd. But what are we, what we, we said is uh, we, uh, with the German presidency, there was uh, certainly a constructive approach. And now, uh, what is perhaps more difficult is what you said, is uh, difficult to have bilateral face-to-face -face meetings due to pandemic. Uh, we can have a lot of video conferences, bilateral video conferences, but it is not the same, it is not the same, the, the same thing. And that's why I intend, I think there is a solid, a solid, uh, constructive approach that has the majority of the member states. Clearly, as Monique said, and the, 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 the Commission proposal in the, in the, in the, in, the, in September, I think nobody get too much happy, but nobody said it is unacceptable. And then we made, we made together, we made uh, part of the way. And now we should concentrate in all these technical aspects, like what, what now uh, 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 was said on, uh, by Anne on the importance of EASO, for example, or the importance of Eurodac, or the Blue Card Directive as a symbol of legal migration path. 
we should go ahead and have uh, say if you agree on this why why block it by political global reasons and on the main political reasons i think i think there is a majority that wants to reach an agreement and the southern countries what they want they want not to get be let alone be let alone with all the burden we should give them confidence in this system and that's why we should uh, i think of course they 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 know they can they can trust on this the portuguese presidency we are very close to the to the southern countries approach even if we don't we don't have the kind of pressure they have and that's why when i say we should share the burden on border border controls and, the, and border management that is an european responsibility not only a national responsibility and also on solidarity we should have clear criteria for crisis situation but also for normal situation that is a problem of confidence and what i get from uh, from fernando from spain from luciana from italy and from notice from greece my three by three colleagues just to, to say the three largest countries in the southern southern uh, southern borders of europe they say well we trust you in this approach and then i should move up to the what you call the reluctant states uh, we know their approach to to special to relocation and what i should ask them if they are reluctant to to, to relocation but even slovenia recently which is a part of the three with of presidencies slovenia said already in they said that in last meeting last thursday on special circumstances that mean on crisis we could affect some uh, some amount of relocations and that is a huge progress uh, what we should go is try to say on normal situation how can they what uh, this uh, this idea of a catalog not uh, that bits the choice cannot cannot be not to be so not to have solidarity solidarity must be binding must, must be mandatory but they can they can fulfill these uh, obligations through different ways and now we have to make simulations on the on financial aspects on the uh, uh, on the on how to show solidarity if we support the development of if we support uh, southern countries uh, uh, in africa with the technical support to control migratory flows we are preventing their arrival to europe if you on the floor you support if you invest in the fight again criminal criminal networks you are preventing to have fragile people coming to europe and then we should have the other side is to to recognize the right to asylum to, to the people with uh, with under and the risk due to wars or the political or religious religious persecution that would be our approach is not easy i understand it's not easy especially in these times but what what i can promise is my 
is my full commitment of in the next five months in the good school, as you said, of my good friends, Guterres and Vitorino. They are good teachers. Minister, you, uh, Minister, you're too modest. <laughs> and I must say, as I said earlier, that your reputation precedes you. Uh, I've always thought that uh, for some reason, maybe it's location, maybe it's big water, <laughs> um, Portugal tends to punch above its weight on important issues. And uh, it is important that we that we understand this. I wouldn't be surprised if more progress perhaps is made in the next remaining whatever it is, four and a half months, almost five months, than many people think possible. Uh, but now I would like to ask a question of Ulrich, who has been very patiently, uh, you know, waiting. And uh, this is a question about legal pathways. We've heard from virtually all of the speakers that having, you know, sort of greater opportunities, opening up more legal pathways for people to enter uh, Europe for all of the reasons that we heard from the demographics, you know, to gaps in in terms of qualified people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Ulrich, what is your best sense of how will in your government or the government of the other member states that you um, uh, you participate in conversations in the council and elsewhere um, what do you think the opportunities are for opening legal greater and broadening legal pathways because in order for the minister over the next five months to have a more of a fighting chance about making progress on some of these issues. One of the things that he should be able to offer in negotiations with third countries, not just you know Morocco and, uh, and the other Maghreb countries that may or may not be somewhat easier, um, how can you basically give him some of the tools in terms of visas, work visas, and opportunities to come into Europe and settle? Uh, in order to be able to make his approach to these countries, Europe's approach to these countries, more successful. Uh, many thanks, Dimitri. So, uh, as I said, the so-called external dimension is something that all the member states agreed upon. Um, that cooperation with the countries of origin and transit has to be improved and always have, be, have, have to be checked how to how to positively influence migration when it comes to uh, to prevent irregular migration and facilitate returns. And naturally, legal pathways are a part of any kind of of uh, uh, of a cooperation between member states and the European Union with countries of transit and origin. You can only address North African and other countries in uh, offering them. Uh, legal pathways in uh, in offering them visa, visa leverages and so on, or at least ways to easier get visas. Uh, in, uh, only if you uh, come up with such a such a um, combination of offers that you will finally uh, result uh, or having uh, the result that they will uh, better cooperate in return uh, of their nationals. The, so we there is the blue card uh, directive which we had on the uh, in the trilogue which is the commission's proposal which is a good one 
which uh, uh, we were able to proceed, but that was only possible after the Commission has modified its proposal. In the beginning, the Commission said that only um, European-wide uh, uh, um, legal provisions for uh, qualified migrant workers would be uh, would be acceptable, and that all member states should should uh, uh, adhere to this level, and no individual member states program should be possible anymore. And that was not acceptable for Germany, frankly speaking, and for a number of other member states. There is the blue card on the European level, but nevertheless, the labor market in the member states is so different that there should be individual member states programs adding to the European blue card thing. And we had such a very uh, considerable piece of legislation entered into force 1st of March last year on the German level, so just with the beginning of covid not a very positive coincidence, but nevertheless, there are some uh, some good results already. But the question very much is, what is the level of education, the level of skills you are asking for? We, and that's part of the blue card as well, when it comes to IT specialists, you, you, you would very much um, lower the level of, uh, of education they bring rather than their knowledge in IT uh, in running IT systems and in the IT sector, but the question is how far, how will you, how will you um, uh, estimate that in the country of origin or in your country, and you you will avoid any kind of irregular migration through that thing. So in principle, there are uh, there is a, a big consensus, but the question is very much first what especially the level of competence is because only. I, I can hardly imagine labor markets who are in desperate need of low or no skilled workers. That is no more really the challenge and the development of the labor markets in the European Union. And think that uh, I think that is something that all share. On the other hand, last remark, when it comes to avoid irregular migration, when it comes to avoid the, the poor guys, let me put it like this, from Morocco from from sub-Saharan Africa from the Sahel region who who are who can afford to pay a smuggler and try desperately to make their way to Europe somewhere to to make a living there and to support their families back home the question is very much whether a legal pathway would very much be able to uh, to compensate this struggle for a better life that can only uh, uh, be uh, a reason in a limited number if you take these examples. So that has to be part of a cooperation with the countries of origin of transit and a, a really considerable part, but that will not, in the end, I'm quite skeptical about that, really stop irregular migration because not all uh, of the people who want to, uh, uh, who are striving for a better. So um, we have actually run out the clock, as it were. <laughs> and uh, I would love to hear from both of you because, you know, both you and the minister have put on the table really thoughtful ideas, realistic ideas. I think it was very important to hear from you over what you said, you know, in this second round or whatever it is. But also, I love the pragmatic sense uh, that Minister Cabrita brings to the table. And, uh, I want to thank both of you. I want to thank Monique Pariat for having opened the session. Uh, as I said, she had to leave. 
And I know that Lisa Dixon now is going to cut me off any second now. I want to thank our audience uh, for joining us and listening in. I hope that you found as much value in the conversation as I did. And I'd like to think to thank Lisa and my colleagues at MPI for making this possible. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great evening.